Cybersecurity is a constant evolving domain with new challenges every minute. Are you a cybersecurity professional trying to broaden your knowledge or someone trying to just get into the space? The Cyber Huddle Podcast brings industry experts and junior cyber professionals together to discuss this ever-evolving space. Welcome to the Cyber Huddle Podcast. Hello, cyber professionals, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Huddle Podcast. Today, I'm with Bailey Marshall. Hi, Bailey, and welcome to the Cyber Huddle. Hi, how are you? I'm good, and yourself? Great. If you could, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so uh, obviously, Bailey Marshall. Um, I started out in my cybersecurity career, not cybersecurity, not technical. I actually started a, with a psychology major, uh, which is very far from what normally people do. Uh, a lot of computer science backgrounds, a lot of, uh, you know, more technical stuff. So I decided that I wanted to go into cybersecurity by uh, dabbling a little bit in IT. And I realized that I didn't really like the networking side of stuff, but I liked the securing part of the network. So I decided instead of going into IT, I'd go into cybersecurity, which kind of allowed me to uh, focus more on securing the network rather than building the network. So um, as any kid in the 90s knows, starting out with computers, you kind of dabble in uh, messing around with that because that's what you grow up with. So that's where I started, um, but inevitably didn't decide to pursue that as a, um, a bachelor's degree. Um, I think that psychology is inc incredibly relevant to cybersecurity, though. So I like to utilize my bachelor's degree now in my current cybersecurity career. Um, I have a couple of certifications under my belt now um, and have generally focused on a lot of the human interaction uh, with cybersecurity, a lot of social engineering, a lot of um, intelligence-based um, cybersecurity, intelligence-driven security. So that's kind of what my interests are. Um, I definitely have enjoyed uh, focusing on human interactions with technology. I think it's incredibly important to anything we do nowadays. Okay. That's awesome. So that's kind of a great segue into what, uh, what we wanted to talk about. So first we'll talk about um, cyber psychology. So if you could go ahead and tell us what that is, because I kind of had to Google it when you, when you brought up the topic, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I so I've been looking for PhD programs, um, actually, and not because I'm intending to pursue a PhD, but if the right one comes along and it's like a good fit, that's what I'd like to do eventually. And I'm not, uh, again, I'm not from a, a incredibly technical background to begin with, so I've never been particularly interested in the um, programming. I have programming experience, but um, that's not where my interests are. So doing um, quantum physics and AI and really the technical PhD part of research is not for me. Um, but obviously with psychology background, that's a liberal arts degree. So it's kind of, you know, psychology as a bachelor's degree, we do a lot of research, but it's not the same as uh, creating a program and um, implementing it and testing it to see whether or not it works. It's a lot of study of humans and how they think, um, cultural uh, input as far as uh, the way that psychology focuses on maybe you're in South America versus China and like the psychology behind how people think um, and what people desire dabbles a little bit in anthropology as well. Um, and I think that's important to 
cybersecurity um, because there's always a person behind the computer. It, it, you know, you've got AI and stuff like that, but nine times out of ten, when you're dealing with you know some sort of hacker, it's not it's not automated. There's someone behind that keyboard that's trying to get into your system, um, and whatever they're trying to get. Uh, maybe it's uh, you know denying you service to your assets. Maybe it's getting data. Um, maybe it's just completely destroying uh, the, the information that you have. Uh, there's a human behind that making that decision. So I came across the term cyber psychology, which doesn't go together at all. It's like an oxymoron um, based on looking for PhD programs. And um, I kind of looked into it because I was like, what the heck is cyber psychology? Um, and it looks like it's a pretty new uh, field of study. I mean, honestly, I couldn't find very much um, farther back than 2021. So, I mean, this is increasingly new. Um, but it seems like a lot of what cyber psychology right now is focused on is how, you know, you have teenagers that have, that grow up having an iPhone all the time and how does social media uh, play a part in, uh, you know, their self-image, things like that. So it's almost like the, the technology's effect on a human. That's where cyber psychology is focused on right now. But I think that it can be focused on the human's effect on the technology. Um, and that's the brilliance of how this is a new field is because they, they really haven't developed what the specifics that this field is going to focus on. It's super broad right now. So with this PhD program that I was looking at, it's out of um, Capital Technology University in DC. Um, it's all research based. So you don't take PhD courses in the traditional sense where you're uh, learning about other stuff. All of your PhD courses are research based. You basically take 60 or so hours of just research where you're focusing on a topic that you're interested in. So that way you can help develop what will be in the next five to 10 years, cyber psychology. Um, so really weird, um, but incredibly interesting. And I think that with national security, it could be incredibly important as well because a lot of the psychology behind uh, cyber operations and hacking and things like that um, can really be focused on, you know, um, what people are doing behind that keyboard. What intelligence can you bring from other, you know, cultures and things like that. So I think that that's probably the most important thing that I have focused on in what you consider cyber psychology. Well, so that's pretty interesting. You brought up the, um, you brought up the whole idea of, you know, you brought teenagers and their interaction with social media, their self-image. And we look at like, you know, even like today with what's going on in the world, you see, you know, there's the information that's available and then there's the disinformation that's available. So that it's all about like how are humans interacting with the data and then the data with the technology platforms and how those technology platforms are influencing people and decisions. And so I think that's really, really interesting that they're, you know, merging cyber and then psychology together to kind of see what that human interaction looks like, especially with like decision making, you know, the way we conduct ourselves, what's what's socially acceptable um, and how we interact with, you know, various different platforms that are out there. Um so what do you hope to gain from from a degree program like that? If I were to pursue that PhD program, I would focus on um, developing a research project that uh, looks into, you know, like you said, we've got a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. And there are various regions where there is 
stuff going on. And we're obviously focused on a little bit of Europe right now, um, but there's stuff going on in South America, there's stuff going on in Asia, and my interests would be pursuing how different countries and different cultures view data and view um, technology. I am particularly interested in um, social engineering and hacking and red teaming. Um, that's like where my technology interests lie. And so to be able to research, um, you know, what does a what does a German citizen if they're if they're going to be hacking based on their cultural um, you know, interests and, and how they, they grew up and, and what their country looks to gain from the outside world. How does that differ from maybe a Chinese citizen where they're hacking for something else? Does um, you know, someone out of Europe look for data that they want to steal to maybe um, get your bank account information, steal your money or things like that? Whereas maybe someone in China or someone in, um, you know, uh, Southeast Asia might be interested in not necessarily stealing your information, but denying you service to your bank accounts. You know, they don't want your money, but they don't want you to have it. So how does that impact, you know, if it, if the target is American, um, how, how can another country based on their cultural interests and their cultural decision-making process affect another country when it's, um, you know, when you're considering hacking and uh, what data is out there and what you can do with that data, whether or not it's stealing, whether it's destroying, denying, um, things like that. I think that pursuing something like that in a research project is uh, in, in interesting to me uh, because it ties in the psychology. It's a little bit, like I said, it's a little bit of anthropology, but I would say less of the anthropology and more intelligence driven um, because that is information that you're getting from a national security perspective. Um, you know, countries want to defend not only their government assets, but they want to defend their uh, private assets as well. You know, there's a lot of companies that work for government entities, but also they want to protect their citizens' uh, personal information as well, because that it's all a, a trickle-down effect if you have a, you know, um, someone in Chicago that has their bank account hacked, well, that affects the bank. And, you know, maybe the DOD or the government uses that bank to do stuff, uh, other things. So it's all a, a snowball effect. Um, so that would be interesting for me to pursue as far as what cultural impact does, um, uh, do, do people have on, you know, hacking and, and getting data or destroying data? Um, I don't think that's a subject that's really been touched because um, nobody really cares what the people are thinking. They care, oh, my, my data is gone or my, my money is stolen. I can't access my funds, but they don't focus more on, okay, let's back up. There's a person behind this computer. Why did they do this? Um, what are they looking to gain? And I think it's important to figure that stuff out because maybe you have a you know, again, I keep going to the bank um, scenario because it's easy and it's relatable to people that don't have any cyber, um, you know, everybody uses a bank. Um, maybe your your money has been stolen. Okay, well, now let's look back and go back and see what countries really like to steal money. Is it European countries? Is it African countries? Or maybe our bank assets are down. Now we can't access the websites. Well, where do we go back and see what uh, cultures and and 
countries like to deny services. And then maybe we can focus on uh, securing our assets based on those cultural impacts. Because again, it's all people behind the computer. Um, as much as we like to talk automation, automation, if someone's got to automate it, right? Uh, someone's got to build that automation. So it will always be humans at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. Um... What is also, if you flip the coin here, because we've, we've talked about like, you know, exploitation of data, we also can look at it as the um, improving user um, user interaction, user interface with an, a product or, you know, a platform. And I, I think that's uh, important because now you can see kind of collecting data to get the psychological aspect of when a, when, how is that perceived. Um, and so the way it's perceived in the U.S. may not be the same way it's perceived in Europe. And so, you know, having that psychological um, perspective on it is, is a pretty neat concept when you when you uh, provide when you combine both of those uh, fields together. Um, so that's that's very that's very interesting. Um, so you, you made a comment a minute ago about like, you know, like financial institutions are an institution that maybe wouldn't be as in depth into cyber. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to switch topics on you here. So. Um, with those, with one of the topics we were going to talk about was, uh, you know, moving in from non-technical to a technical background. Um, and so I'll kind of let you just run with it, uh, since you, you had, you had wanted to talk about it. So what, what is, how does that work? And I know since you, you can speak firsthand from that because you went from a psychology background into cyber. So, uh, go ahead and tell us your experiences and what. What, uh, what advice do you have? Yeah, so like I just said, you know, um, not everybody is focused on cybersecurity, but it affects everybody. I mean, with the technology out there, uh, no matter what, you have a phone or maybe a ring doorbell, anything like that, technology um, is in your life. And that's just a, the, the, the fact of the matter is, no matter how much you want to try to uh, deny that you know, maybe you don't have social media. Oh, well, technology doesn't affect me. Well, you have a cell phone, um, you know, and, and so maybe cybersecurity isn't for you focused on someone hacking your social media. Maybe it's focused on someone jamming your frequency and now you can't call your relatives, you know, because maybe there's been a, you know, tons of hurricanes in Louisiana, right? You can't call them on your cell, can't call family on your cell phone. Um, how are you going to know that your family is doing okay if there is a natural disaster? So cybersecurity is also electronics, it's things like that, uh, and it affects everybody. So um, coming from a non-technical background, um, you know, you got to focus on what, how, how does technology affect you? Um, and maybe you don't want to say, well, it affects me the same way that my kids or my grandkids have an impact on it, but it does affect me. Um, so when I got into psychology in, um, in my bachelor's degree, I wasn't focused on any technology whatsoever. I actually switched from a biology major. I wanted to be a doctor, um, was not good at organic chemistry. So I just, I, and it wasn't interesting. I think that I, I didn't do well because I didn't find it interesting. And what I did find interesting was psychology. And it's still kind of can be a medical profession, but I didn't really know if I wanted to pursue it as a medical profession. So I kind of just rolled with it. Um, and when I joined the military, I was uh, rooting for uh, military intelligence because I've always been interested in intelligence and psychology has a big impact on intelligence because again, it's human. 
So I wanted to branch uh, military intelligence when I uh, joined uh, the U.S. Army. Uh, didn't get that. I actually got uh, put in Signal in the Signal Corps, uh, which is IT, like I said. Um, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with IT. I don't like networking. I don't want to build uh, radios and things like that. This is not interesting to me. Um, but I took it with a grain of salt and I tried to make the most of it. And at that point, that's where I realized, hey, I do actually kind of like this stuff, but maybe not necessarily what I'm doing. I like some aspects of it. So let me just take that and go forward with that. So at this point, I hadn't used my psychology degree at all. Didn't, didn't think that I was going to because I was like, well, I got a bachelor's degree. It got me um, a commission as an officer in the service. And that's all that my psychology degree is going to do for me. I'm now IT and cybersecurity. Um, but after a couple of years, I kind of realized that, okay, so I like cybersecurity. Uh, and I like little bits and chunks of it. These are the things that I'm interested in. Well, I did have this bachelor's degree that I got a couple years ago, and I'm interested in the things that that taught me. But how do I put those two together? Because you know, psychology is liberal arts and technology is obviously, you know, it could be engineering. It could be all sorts of things. Uh, those two just don't go together. You might have a biology and a psychology or maybe a computer science and, you know, physics or something like that. So my biggest thing was sitting down with myself and saying, well, what am I interested in? Okay, I like these things. And I also like this other thing too that doesn't really seem to have an impact on these things that I like in technology. Well, how can I use that skill that I already have? I spent four years getting a degree. Why would I not utilize those skills that I spent so long, a, a small chunk of my life focusing on studying? So how can I implement those two together? Um, and again, like I said before, I was interested in military intelligence and things like that. So I realized, well, psychology can have an impact on intelligence, which can have an impact on cybersecurity. So long story short, based on my experience, what I came to find out is that I really had to nug away at what I liked, what I was interested in, and kind of take a little grain of salt with the things that I had to do for my job, but that weren't necessarily interesting to me because I had to get through those little hurdles to jump into what I really wanted to do. And now I'm in a place where, you know, I'm talking about pursuing a PhD in cyber psychology because I have spent the past six years of my career kind of whittling away. What is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to focus on? What am I good at? Um, because I think that people, um, tend to think, well, I want to be this. I want to be a pen tester. Um, and that's awesome. But how do you get there with the skills that you already have? We capitalize on the things that you currently are good at so you can make it to the goal. Um, one of a piece of advice from one of my mentors that uh, has kind of resonated with me, uh, we were having a conversation about, you know, I'm, I'm preparing to leave the, the service this year. We're having a conversation about um, jobs that were available. And he was like, hey, you know, this is a job that you would be a good fit for with our organization. And I was like, yeah, but I don't really want to do that, that I would like to do these things. And he's like, yes, but your resume says that this is what you would be qualified for and this is what you're good at. So in order for us to get you where you want to be, sometimes you do have to take those jobs that you don't necessarily think this is the job that I'm going to do in my next career move. You have to kind of take, take that job that might not necessarily be your goal job to kind of jump into another job. 
for us, when we were discussing this, it was talking about, okay, let's get me into the organization so that I can do the job that I'm qualified for. And when another opening opens up, I would be a great candidate for that because I'm already in the organization and you can see my work ethic. You can see the projects that I have already done. I think a lot of people have um, a problem with entry level jobs is because there's no experience. And how do you get experience without getting an entry level job? And they want you to have experience. And it's just a sick cycle of, uh, you know, I can't get experience without a job, but I can't get a job without experience. Uh, and sometimes you do have to just take take the help desk job and, and say, okay, this is not what I want to do. This is not where I want to go. But maybe this organization that I want to work for has opportunities for me to do what I want to do. So let me take the job that I may be qualified for and kind of work my way into the job that I want to be in. Because once you start networking within that organization, that's it's hugely impactful. A job opening comes up and you said, hey, you know, Bailey Marshall was interested in that job. Well, she's she already works for us. Let's on the job trainer. Um, so, it, you know, to, to sum up what I just said, breaking in from a technical, a non-technical background into a technical experience is um, finding what you want to do, um, be humbling yourself down to trying to take the jobs that are available and the jobs that you're good at and capitalize on your skills and just being open and honest with yourself and saying, okay, you know, I might need a stepping stone to get where I want to be. Yeah. And so that's a good point. So we're going to kind of like, um, break this down a little bit. So like I sent you an article we were talking about briefly. Um, so university of Texas published an article. So getting into the field, it's, it may be difficult because you know you brought the experience versus, you know, your, the your experience versus like the the technical uh, education or whatever it is to get into it. Well, so currently there are almost five hundred thousand unfilled cyber positions. So there's definitely not a lack of positions in the United States. There's over three million in the world that are vacant. So that's that's an interesting um, statistic, which uh, I know some people say like you know. 90% of all statistics are, are uh, not accurate. But so I go after all that just to say there is a huge shortage. So there is a place to get in there. And so what's really good about this article is, you know, it talks about um, the non-technical backgrounds that you would need, like technical writing, project management. So there are cyber people that just want to be behind the keyboard. There are cyber people who want to manage. And it's hard to find the person that's in the middle. Who wants to do both? Um, finance is another another thing it references. Security and law enforcement. And then what's really interesting about this article is University of Texas says you don't need a degree to get started. And so it's funny hearing a college uh, or university say that kind of thing just because, you know, that's their business. Um, but it breaks it down even further into, like, the process. So... Which qualifications do cybersecurity professionals find most helpful? So relevant cybersecurity experience, um, knowledge of advanced concepts in cybersecurity, cybersecurity certification. So these are all broken down by percentages. So like the concepts is a 47%. Uh, the certifications was a 43%. And I mean, it just keeps going. And it says knowledge of basic cyber concepts. And if you look at all this stuff, like there's no... Some of these don't have a certification tied to them. Some of them don't have, you know, anything. 
that you would have to do extra. And so, you know, you brought up the whole sometimes you have to take the help desk job to kind of get where you want to go to get the experience. And that's and that's very true. You know, that's kind of where I started. I started out as help desk, then did sysadmin, did network admin, worked my way up and now I'm cyber. So it also talks about certifications, which correct me if I'm wrong, you have your CSSP, is that correct? I do. Yeah. Okay. So one of the one of the things it talks about in here is like, you know, the top certifications to get. And the, the big one over here is uh so CSSP talks about and Security Plus. Um I was actually talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he had mentioned that a lot of companies won't even touch you without a secure a security plus just because or government will say government won't even touch you because that's like the the cert they they don't care about the higher level search you have they're looking for that security plus because I guess it's the way contracts are written or whatever the case is but it's kind of uh, interesting that you have all these all these you know avenues you can do so I was I was talking to another friend of mine earlier this morning so she took the security plus exam she is not in cybersecurity at all she's in logistics. And so she studied, she passed, she passed it. So that, that's, that's a good thing, but it's like a, it's like, it starts there and then it keeps going further. And like I said, you don't have to spend a whole lot of money and time, but you have to get out and do the internships, get the um, experience from the, you know, the, the junior level positions. I think that's, that's really important. What advice would you give someone trying to get into the field? So Interestingly enough, I've seen a lot of LinkedIn ads um, for jobs that say, hey, we want you to be this entry-level job, but we want you to have CISSP. Well, CISSP, you have to have five years of experience in the IT or security and in uh, several of the domains of security, you have to have you know, a handful of the domains that they test on, um, five years of experience. And they have to vet you for that because you can take and pass it, but you will only get associated if you don't have the experience. So I find that ironic that a lot of these companies are saying, well, this is an entry level job. We're going to pay you entry level, but you have to have CISSP. Uh, that, that's absolutely uh, I would run from those jobs because those um, those advertisements are a, a clear uh, display that that company or that organization has either copied and pasted the job description and their qualifications from another job that they have or another job that another organization has posted, or they just don't know enough about you know what, what cybersecurity is. And, and honestly, it's at that point where you kind of have to remember that you remember your value. Um, you don't want to apply for organizations that value you as an entry level job when you're already required to have five years of experience. That's ridiculous. Um, so Security Plus is a huge, awesome opportunity if you can get it. That would be my advice to pursue security plus if you're looking to do general cybersecurity. Um, IT focuses more on uh, CompTIA's A plus and network plus, um, which are also great certifications to have. Network plus is a great one to segue into security plus because you have to know the basics um, and you have to know the basics of the network and how it's created in order to secure it. Um, <clears throat> so absolutely secure uh, security plus is like the and I would say the entry level uh, certification that you can get. But <clears throat> on that note, uh, you have to have a little bit of experience in either studying for the exam, or like you said, your friend in logistics, you know, she doesn't didn't come from a, an IT background or a security background. So, you know, you may not understand all the concepts that are in the books, but there are 
plenty of free resources out there, YouTube, Udemy, Cybrary, that will take you through and hold your hand and walk you through. This is what this is. This is what this represents. This is what a company is looking for when it's talking about, you know, SOX 3, SOX 4, HIPAA. Um, you, you really break it down super well if you don't have any IT experience. I actually got my security plus in 2016 and I had no IT experience. I, I graduated from my psychology degree um, in May of 2016 and I started studying for security plus in July of 2016 because it was an opportunity that I was given. I was given a voucher um, to take security plus. So I was like, well, I'm going to capitalize on it and I'm going to study for it, but I had no background whatsoever. I didn't know anything about networks, um, didn't know how to create a computer, didn't know how to create a network. Routers and switches only meant as much to me as the people that installed um, Wi-Fi in my house. Um, so I, I never really messed with that stuff. But I bought a book and I sat down and said, okay, I'm going to read a chapter um, every week, every night, uh, whatever I could get out um, and, and feasibly do. Um, and I read that book within a month and went and took the security plus uh, shortly after that. <clears throat> so I came from zero IT experience and was able to get security plus, very similar to what your friend uh, was able to do. Um, those concepts are very broad. The, the concepts that they focus on in, in certifications like security plus are incredibly broad. So you can apply them even if you're not in security. Um, you know, I, I mentioned HIPAA. HIPAA can be security um, because a lot of, especially now uh, that COVID is a lot of uh, medical appointments you can do virtually. Well, there's a lot of stuff that those uh, medical uh, facilities can't either post online or they have to have additional security measures to meet HIPAA um, compliance. So things like that. But again, that's also medical as well. You have to know HIPAA in order to be a medical professional. So you may not have any IT experience, but maybe you understand HIPAA or maybe, you know, there's a couple of other um, different things in security plus specifically that's like, oh, well, this is relevant to my job as, um, you know, an assembly line worker or this is my, you know, banking, um, things like that. Um, so it's incredibly interesting to see how all of those jobs come together and at the end of the day it's all it's all security um, whether it's cyber security medical security financial security it's security um, so my advice to someone trying to get into um, the IT field from maybe a different um, a different background uh, not having any IT experience whatsoever is find what you are familiar with and run with that um, and you can pick up the pieces uh, with things that you don't understand with tons of free resources or buy a book. Um, some people are just really not good test takers. I get that. I, I'm not. I get seriously put a, the word test or exam in the, um, the phrasing of something that I'm supposed to do. And I get serious anxiety. I freak out. I just I, I overthink. Um, and so people just aren't good. Some people just aren't good test takers. And that's totally fine. Um, I don't think that you need certifications to break into cybersecurity. But what I would say you do need is confidence in your abilities. So if you can get the help desk job or you can get the entry level job that doesn't require you to have a certification, maybe when you're ready to take Security Plus or something similar, 
you're like, hey, I've been doing this for two years. Now I'm confident in my ability. So while I don't maybe test very well, I work with this stuff every day. Um, <clears throat> so anybody that tells you you need certifications to break into this stuff is um, it, they're they're lying to you. You definitely don't. Is it beneficial? Absolutely. There are a lot of jobs and a lot of contracts that require you to have some sort of certification so they can at least validate that you know what you're talking about. Um, I've had companies that I just had a conversation with my, my LinkedIn network on whether or not I should keep my security plus um, because I have SysP. And uh, everybody was like, well, keep it because there's a lot of companies that uh, require you to have security plus, regardless of if you have SISB, they don't care. Um, and I found that really interesting because you think, well, I have SISB, I don't need security plus. I have I obviously proven um, my worth, but it's just a checkbox. It's just something that they want you to check the block off and say, yes, I have that, regardless of all the other experience that you have. Um, so take certifications with a grain of salt because they are um, important to the job, but they're not everything. Yeah, no, I I, I 100% agree with that one. I've never been a fan of you know the secure or the certifications and the you know all these certifications that people will get and basically you know add you know I have SANS times ten certifications. You know how many of those can I, I've said it before in, in previous uh, podcast sessions. Um, one of the things you kind of harped on uh, was like the non-technical skills. And so that's kind of what this article does mention. So it talks about like soft skills and I'll share this article um, on the, uh, on the Spotify website, but um, it talks about like research and writing. And so, you know, that's, that's huge within cybersecurity collaboration. Um, I can't express how sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot by not collaborating interpersonal networking. And that, is, and you, you definitely touched on that one, you know, uh, getting out there and connecting with the people that are doing those jobs or those organizations that are doing the things that you want to do. I think those are very important too. talks about problem solving and analytical thinking. Um, empathy uh, it says here, empathy is one of the most needed skills found in cybersecurity. Um, so I, I think, I think those are, we always look at the technical aspect of it, but there's like so much more that plays into being a good cybersecurity professional. Um, and then it breaks it down even further of where to learn these technical skills. And so you, 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 you touched on it. So like, you know, self-directed learning, you can do a boot camp. Um, degrees are an option too. And so again, you have to start somewhere. And I think that's kind of the, the, the discouraging part because the road might be a little bit long um, just because you have to get your foot in the door. But if you have a goal in mind, like you can find ways to get there because there's plenty of ways to get to your desired end state. Um, and then the last thing about this article that talks about like how to find a job once you're ready. So, you know, you, you, you talked about that one. So again, it talks about network, network, network. Um, so it says, according to statistics provided by CNBC, up to 80% of job openings are filled via personal or professional connections. I think that's so true. Um, there's a lot of people that I found that are you know, transitioning from one occupation to another, and it's all about who you know and who's willing to vouch for you. And I, so I have, a, I have a company, and so one of the things that we, we want to start doing is like hiring on those individuals who 
want to get into the field but don't exactly have the experience just so that way they can come on you know get their feet wet and then they go out to the operate to to do cyber for other organizations i think that's important because it's our way to give back to cybersecurity. so that way um you know you kind of are building that pot of people to pull from because right now there's just a lack of there and, and, and i understand there are organizations that are a little bit hesitant to hiring people with no experience but it's one of those like They've got to start somewhere. And honestly, if they like what they're doing, they're going to come back. They're going to stay in the field. Because uh, there was another article I read, like, I think it said something like 70% of cybersecurity um, graduates from, a, from, a, from an institution, they don't go into cybersecurity. They do artificial intelligence. They do uh, data analytics. They do, you know, all these other things. And so... It's one of those like just because we have a huge cyber or a huge cybersecurity or IT security um, graduate pool doesn't mean that's what they're going to do, and I think that's kind of interesting too. Um, so, what what are your thoughts about the whole degree thing and uh, the degree thing about you know folks that are getting degrees in security but not actually doing security? Yeah, so a lot of the ones that I see jobs um, available to cybersecurity professionals is project management. Um, I don't know uh, anybody in particular that likes to do project management because I know that it's such a broad thing, especially coming from the military. We all think that we're project managers because we do manage projects all the time. But I think that people get a little bit sidetracked and, well, I'm good at project management because I've been doing it, so I want to do project management. And then they get into it and they're like, I didn't really want to do project management. Um, but there's a huge pool for people to do projects, um, program managers. And I think that when you look at those uh, cybersecurity jobs, uh, it the big focus is on the agile um, uh, way of thinking from the PMP and um, I think it's the other, the other uh, project management uh, um, certifications from um, the PMP organization, um, they focus on agile methodologies. And I don't think that they necessarily want someone to be PMP certified. They want someone that knows agile methodologies and someone that really enjoys directing teams um, and its management. And so there's a lot of people that really want to do keyboard work for cybersecurity. Um, <clears throat> I myself, I, I, I want to do that, um, but I'm good at management. Um, that has been kind of what I've been doing for the past six years is managing people. Um, so do I want to be a project manager? No. But am I good at managing people and managing teams? Yes. So I would capitalize on that skill while I'm doing a job search. Um, but that's not a, a skill that you need to get a degree in. Nobody really gets a degree in project management or, you know, there are degrees that are management, business management, um, business administration. Um, but a lot of people don't do, you know, they don't get their, you know, um, MBA, for example, it's like a huge staple uh, business administration management uh, degree. Um, they go to work for financial institutions or like big companies. And, uh, you know, that's great. Um, but you can be a manager without a bachelor's degree or without an MBA, because that's a soft skill that you can learn as you do um, jobs. I mean, I've met more middle managers in uh honestly in just the the past six years of my career that are better at managing people than those with degrees and they don't have degrees 
um, because they had those soft skills like you were talking about empathy. Um, you know, they're they're task organized. Um, they can focus on the people. So there are a lot of jobs out there that are in the field of cyber. Like, um, you know, FireEye is a cyber security organization, but they have jobs within FireEye that aren't cybersecurity, that are not hands on the keyboard, where you want to have skills in cyber or you want to have skills in IT, but you might not necessarily be doing that job because they've hired you as um, a manager or a budget analyst. So the general scope of, hey, I know what's going on in our organization, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm not hands on the keyboard. And there are people that actually really like that. Um, so I was talking to someone recently and they said that they really enjoyed uh, knowledge management. And I was like, ew, knowledge management, that for me is not interesting at all. But they really enjoy knowledge management and um, SharePoints and creating that kind of knowledge management network for organizations. And I found it really interesting because I was like, wow, um, it was really enlightening that there are people that enjoy cyber, but that don't necessarily enjoy hands on the keyboard. They don't necessarily want to be technical. They want to be something else in the domain of where they're working. So I just, I think it's, there's so many people out there that might get a job um, doing something that they don't have a degree in. And that's totally fine because I think a lot of the times a degree uh, for jobs specifically um, is just experience. I see a lot of, hey, you can substitute you know, two years of experience if you have a master's degree. We want you to have 14, but if you have a PhD, we want we only will make you have eight. Um, it's just, again, like I said, another check on the block. Um, so it's interesting that people are going and doing um, jobs that aren't related to their degrees, especially in cyber, but it's not surprising because everybody has their own interests. Um, so I'm not necessarily interested in AI, but there are some people that really are good at it and do enjoy it. Um, and so thinking on that, I don't think that you have to have a degree to do what you enjoy, essentially, is what I'm trying to break it down to. Um, and, and you said, you know, getting your core and getting in these organizations that give you the experience, really that's that's it. I see a lot of people, especially on LinkedIn, say, well, I've, I've submitted my 300th application and, um, you know, I just can't get an interview. It's not that person. If, if, you know, maybe there's some tweaking on your resume, maybe there's some interview skills that you need to brush up on. But at the end of the day, it's the organizations that you're interviewing with or you're applying for. Um, if you have the motivation, a good is going to find you and they're going to give you the opportunity. Um, and when, you know, you get that opportunity, take it and run with it. Um, I think, you know, people get wrapped up in, well, I want to work for Oracle, I want to work for, you know, um, this Fortune 500 company, I want to work for Mandian. That's awesome. Those are great organizations to have on your resume. Me personally, I'd rather work for a small business because for one, if smaller corporation um, tends to have a little bit more focus on your family and your personal life. But also, I like a small knit community, um, and I think that people overlook small businesses a lot because um, they're like, well, they're not a big name. Um, nobody's going to recognize, you know, this this organization if I put them on my resume when I leave in a couple of years. Um, but really focusing on, you know, what is available, and maybe it's not the 300 
applications that you've put in. Maybe it's the organization that you're looking at. These organizations have all of these crazy requirements for you to have, but it might just not be the right fit. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, what was interesting, you were talking about like the management aspect of this, of, of cybersecurity and, you know, with those, those folks being on keyboard and I've experienced it firsthand where you've got all these, um, I'll use cats. So you're hurting cats because they're all doing their own little thing for the project. And you need that one person to kind of herd them together. So that way we kind of bring that project together to close it out. Um, too often, you know, you see a lot of the, the hands-on keyboard folks, like they get so far into it. They're not talking to one another. They're not collaborating. They're not doing all those things that I mentioned before. And you need those people that are going to pull that team together to kind of, you know, get them to the finish line. Um, if not, you know, so I know like with like software development, they'll go down rabbit holes and like you'll, you'll see like, you know, we have these these uh, features that we have to get done. And then while they're developing, they're like, oh, we could add this feature, we could add this feature. And it's like you got to pull them back and you need those people that are going to that are going to sit there and get the team, you know, like I said, to the finish line. So I think that's a very good, um, very good perspective on that one. So um Bailey, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, again, the link for the article we talked about uh, will be on this. Will be on the podcast, and so we'll link to um, to Bailey's LinkedIn. Uh, be sure to follow her. Uh, do you have any departing words for us before we uh, say goodbye to our listeners? No, I'm just would say best of luck to anybody looking for a job. It's gonna come. Uh, it just might not be the right time. All right, and thank you for listening to the Cyber Huddle Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Cyber Huddle Podcast. Be sure to rate and or leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform.